Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord. Our second reading comes from Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. And it reads, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When troubled or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of the life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity that we might worship your holy name. God, I pray that you will let your spirit fall fresh upon us, that our ears might be open, O oh God, to hear, our minds might be open to receive, O oh God, and our hearts might be changed. I pray, O oh God, that we might leave this place differently than we've come in. Thank you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know about you, But this is a little bit weird. And it's weird to me because I, I know a lot of you and some of you I've never met before, but this is a bit of a homecoming for me. This church, this congregation, I consider to be my home church. So when I'm away and you know, folks go back to their home church, their home pastor, people who they know and love, Huntington Valley is the place that I think of. It's the place that I refer to, it's the place where my Wife finally accepted being Presbyterian, was here in this place where my children were baptized and played in the back. And, and I had to do a couple checks when I got here to make sure everything was still intact. Is the sand lot still over there in the back where Gabriel poured a whole bunch of sand in his hair? We're wondering, what did you do? Or the swing still over there where Christian would swing really high and jump off like he was Superman gliding across the sky check. All the things are here, not necessarily all the people, especially in a time like this. But this is such a familiar place to me. So because I feel like I'm coming back home and I am among family, I feel like there are things we can talk about that only family can talk about. Because I know you love me. And two, I love you as well. So with that said we will begin this sermon kind of starting a little bit rocky. We'll go a little bit high, then we'll try to land this thing and see where we end up. Since I left here, I've been pastoring in southwest Philadelphia. I was at a church called New Spirit Community Presbyterian Church and been there for about five years now. When coming into this season, we were on the verge of merging with another congregation, which we've done 
uh, Grace Christian Fellowship, which was a UCC congregation, and now we are one church um, called Salt and Light in Southwest Philadelphia. It's an amazing time, and there are great things happening. But let us begin now. Let's take a deep breath. The exemplary Negro, a term that was often used or we've heard about from the 1900s, that talked about those who have risen above their circumstances to become this exceptional person, this exceptional one that has moved into society and has made it above all odds. When I was researching and read about this term and seeing some of the things that had been written, I think of W.E.B. Du Bois, who was such an exemplary person. We look at Frederick Douglass, who've come from such humble beginnings and then moved into uh, such high esteem in society. Those who have risen above the odds. These are the things that permeate through our culture, is that those who have come up through the ranks, who have made it out of from where they've come from, they have now made it. That is what our culture tells us. That is who is a success. It even still happens today, this is exceptional thing, this idea of people who are exceptional. It's so funny to me. There are times when I'll go to a restaurant with my children when they were smaller. And we would go and we would have a great meal. They would eat and, you know, they're being kids but not too crazy and it never failed. Every now and again, someone will come over and say, your children are so well behaved. They were so polite and so quiet. And I would think, thank you. Well, I would say it as well. But then I would wonder, well, what kind of children have you encountered? Are they maniacs everywhere? Typically, when you come into this place, are they swinging from the chandeliers? Like, what, what is it that makes my children exemplary? Have they risen above some fray that, or some idea that you have of how they might act in some places or circumstances, or are kids really just maniacs? I have enough of them, so they probably are. Even for myself, this happens a lot. When I'm meeting someone for the first time and and I don't have my clergy collar on, or if I don't have my stole on and we enter into conversation, the first things that I'm asked are, so tell me about yourself, meaning, Where have you gone to school? What are you doing right now? Are you accomplished or a failure? So even in that conversation, you know, and I run down my undergraduate degree and then being a pastor, my master's degree, the programs that I'm in and and where I live right now and what's going on, all of a sudden I can see shoulders relax. Conversation can then continue Because now we now understand and we see that you have risen above. You have made it out of from where you've come from. I was raised in North Philadelphia. You have now made it, meaning you have now adopted and have assimilated into the normal culture and society as it exists today. All of that is to say I had to run down my resume. I had to show and prove that 
I was worthy of being in this conversation or that I, uh, um, that, that I can step into this place and there's something that we now have in common that we share or that you approve of, of me, that we can now continue. When we step into this text and we see Jesus talking to first the crowd and then to his disciples, he's talking to them about the seed that's being thrown around. The seed that the sower sows, whether it's on rocky ground or thorny ground and or good soil, is talking about this seed, this word of God he explains to them later that's being thrown around. And those that receive this word that has fallen on good soil, we can look at this text and say that those are the exemplary ones. Those are the ones that have risen above the fray. Those are the ones that the word has touched and they have risen up. And now God is calling them to do such a thing. We can see it. But what we often forget when Jesus is talking about things and talking to people, he rarely talked and cared about your position in life. He rarely talked about jobs that people held and how much he cared about your social rank. He didn't care about your 401k or your retirement plan. He didn't care about how much you had saved up. He didn't care about what car you drove or what you were doing. That wasn't what Jesus was looking for. That was not a part of his criteria to see if you were worthy. That, that's not what he, was doing, what he was doing. But what Jesus did do, and what he, when he looked at people and talked to them, he was trying to figure out where is your heart. How do you love my people? How do you love one another? How do you treat one another? But yet, we know this to be true, especially we're all here in church. I mean, again, I, we, we, we have grown up in churches. We, we know what it means to love God. We talk about it, read about it, preach about it. Every week we have come to this place. We have these rituals, but society tells us, and we have adopted this, that we still have to measure them. Not based on God's word, but we measure them based on what they do. Where you've been and have you adapted? When I first began preaching down in Southwest Philadelphia, within my first year, within my first probably a few months, I had to do a funeral. I had not done a funeral before. So it's really nerve-wracking trying to figure out how we're going to do this funeral. And not that it was just a funeral, but it was, I felt like, a little bit of a difficult one. Yes, pastors do have this conversation. Was this an easy one or a difficult one? What makes it easier or difficult a lot of times depends upon the person that you're trying to eulogize. I mean, we have to find out from people, if we didn't have a personal relationship, who were they? How were they? How, how did they interact with you? What, what about them can you share that no one else might not know? That's something that we often talk about and do. And some eulogies kind of write themselves because of the life that people have lived. This one in particular was a gentleman who family admitted was a drug addict. And he died in a house fire 
No one knows how. No one knows what exactly happened. But he was now gone, burnt in a house fire. We knew he was a drug user. And that's what I had to go on. Oh my gosh. My first funeral? Are you kidding me? Seminary doesn't talk about this. They didn't prepare you for this particular thing. But after I sat down with the family and we talked about um, his life, his experiences, who he was and how, what he meant to them, he was such a gracious man. Even though he had his struggles, he loved on everyone. He was such a playful gentleman and, and he loved playing sports. All these things were to come out. So as I wrote this eulogy, it was easy. I thank God for that, that this was an easy one to do. Very rarely do we talk about someone's resume at their funeral. Very rarely. I mean, even in the obituary, it may come up where they have their education, some of their accomplishments. But we don't really talk about the jobs that they've had. We, we don't talk about, uh, uh, you, you know, things that they, skills that they may have. That's not something that really comes up, but as you kind of read the obituary and as the eulogy kind of goes forth, as the prayers are spoken, as the remarks come up, most of the time we talk about how this person has impacted our life and how it makes us feel. What, what, what kind of impact have they had on us? What, what about them has made us change or be different? What's funny is we live our whole lives trying to run in circles to build this resume that we take from job to job, that we hold in our heart and share from people to people. But when we're gone, that is gone as well. Because what is left is how you lived. We do this with our children starting at an early age. I mean, think about it. What do we ask our children? What do you want to be when you grow up? A policeman, a fireman, a businessman, a lawyer. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? We're already ingraining into them this idea that what you do will define and determine your character. Isn't that amazing? That's how we start off the conversation versus asking our children, so who do you want to help when you grow up? How do you want to impact the world when you grow up? What is broken in our society right now that you would like to fix? Ask a child this. You'll be amazed at some of the things that they will tell you because they observe things being very wrong at a very early age. They will talk about things that they want to see and that they want to be different at a very early age. These are things that Jesus was talking about. In our society right now, and even with the, my, my children and their age, they, they get tagged with this idea that they're too sensitive. I, I don't know if you've interacted with some kids today, but some of them cry at a drop of a dime, depending on what's going on. We were watching a movie the other night, um, my family, Just Mercy. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a very, very good movie. And in that movie, a gentleman gets locked up for a crime that he did not commit. 
And a number of things happen, and eventually he gets out. But as we're going and we're watching the movie, and as things are happening, my son Gabriel begins to cry. I'm like, oh, man, should we not have let him watch this movie? And before that, my son Christian, who's older now, I remember we were watching the Jackie Robinson movie. And he, it was a great movie. But he would ask questions like, is this happening right now, today? Why are the fans treating him like this? Is, is this going on today? And a tear would drop down his eyes. At some point in time, we might have told our children, listen, this is how the world is. Stop crying. And I know there's a, a, a gap in our understanding of cultural norms, and I know men don't cry. Right? There's something that has been preached and taught for a long time. But when we say this and we've taught this to our children, what we're saying is don't have empathy. Don't have sympathy. Don't hurt when other people hurt. Don't cry when other people cry. Is that what we want? our children to do, to believe and to understand this is the way of the world, because essentially what we're doing and what we're saying is, I know what we talk about in church and what we talk about as it pertains to God and loving people, but that's not who you should be in the real world. You see how the culture and our beliefs clash, how what we do on Sundays sometimes can interrupt what we really do in our everyday lives. These are the things that we have to be concerned about. These are the things that we ought to be thinking about. These are the things that we have to fight against. Are we living to build up our resumes? Or are we living into our eulogies? We spend, our, we spend our lives trying to build up and carry these resumes. You see, but a resume is not that special, right? Coming out of Drexel, they have a, a center for ad advancement, meaning you will go there and they would help you craft your resume. You, if you're not a great writer, fine, not a problem. We'll write that. We can make that happen. We'll teach you how to interview, and that'll be everything you need to know. That'll be everything you need to do. That doesn't say anything about your heart or your life. What Jesus is saying in this text is that we shouldn't think of this as being exemplary for the seeds that fall on the soil. But how we should look at this text is there are people around us that we see that we know who come to us with various soils that we have to figure out how we're going to handle them. There are people with rocks inside. There are people with thorns inside. Instead of looking at who's exemplary, who's going to catch this word, we should be working to tear down the problems that exist. How do we irrigate this soil? How do we take these rocks out so that this person might receive this word? How do we tear down these thorns so that these people might receive this word? We shouldn't be looking for exemplary folk, but we should be looking to uplift the whole society, tear down the cultural norms, tear, tear down the systematic injustice that happens day in and day out. 
That is who God is calling us to be. Let us build up the heart. Let us build up the capacity to care. Let us build up that place of love that Jesus calls us to so that us and our children can do something about this broken world. The word of the Lord.